0: What up, what up? Happy November. Welcome in, Big Sky Breakdown. I'm through Nuanas. As always, you can find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Good Big Sky Breakdown here today. couple regular contributors, including Brooks Nuanas. First time we recorded this in the studio. Skyline Sports, we are partnered with ESPN Missoula. I got a daily radio show on ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. nuanas now each weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Brooks was in town for some work with his other job. He works at Georgia's distribution one of the top wine and beer distributors in the state and he's one of the top salespeople for Georgia's so he was over in Missoula doing some work so uh, rather than usually we get him on the phone as he's driving to and from Yellowstone National Park to do some wine sales instead got him here in studio so that was fun having him here so we talked all things Big Sky Conference specifically Montana, Montana State and uh, some football theory, some football program culture talk. Also of course caught up with Ty Gregorak, longtime football coach in the state of Montana and now a regular analyst here on the Big Sky Breakdown and then our third guest on this Big Sky Breakdown, a really fun one. Dave Cook former sports information director at Eastern Washington. He's still very involved there at Eastern, but a font of information. A guy that has a great reverence for history. A guy that is uh, awesome to talk to. And uh, Eastern Washington, they host Montana State on Saturday. Some of the craziest games we've ever covered are between the Bobcats and the Eagles. Tom Stuber, who's been contributing as a writer at Skyline, he has a great story about sort of the ins and outs of some of that history. But also Dave gave us a great perspective as well. So hopefully you enjoy Dave and his talks all about his time at Eastern. He was there for more than 30 years and watched the rise of the Eagles from a Division 2 school into the Division 1, some of the early success the Eagles had in the early 1990s then into the first explosion onto the national scene in 97 with a semifinal run, then into the great run of the 21st century including the 2010 National Championship and working with guys like Cooper Cup and Bo Levi Mitchell and Kendrick Bourne and a bunch of guys that are still playing pro football so hopefully you enjoy Dave as well. Of course, the Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all their support of all of our podcasting endeavors and the Big Sky Breakdown also presented in part by alpine touch alpine touch you can visit AlpineTouch.com for all of your spice needs alpine touch montana's special spice big sky breakdown gets kicked off with brooks Nuñez. brooks we're kind of brainstorming on what to talk about on this big sky breakdown because montana state's coming off of a bye week and for as good as the cats have been I think the fact that they've been just steady makes it not as good of fodder for podcast and Or Talk Radio. I said this on Nuana's Now last week. Matt state literally doesn't turn the ball over. All they do is force turnovers. They don't give up sacks. All they do is sack the opposing quarterback. You can't run on them. All they do is stuff the run. They have by my estimation probably 7 of the most of the 25 most talented players in the league, maybe 8. And uh, because they've just been good, 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 really not any crazy coaching decisions or flat outings or anything like that. It's just been start to finish. So they just, they aren't that volatile, therefore not that volatile in terms of the the conversation. And then the Grizz, they have like everything you possibly could have going against them, going, yet they keep winning, but it's not pretty. (laughs) So we're kind of just stuck here on the first week of November, but the good news is, the two games that we had circled on the calendar starting at the beginning of the year, Montana State at Eastern Washington and then Montana State at Montana, remain uh, upcoming. It's a lot to look forward to. We're going to get into the the upcoming matchups in general, but it's been a weird year, right? I mean, we started out the year with... Montana beating Washington, and Montana State taking Wyoming down the wire. We're sitting here thinking, these two teams, this is going to be one versus three in Missoula on uh, November 20th. It actually still might, because if Montana just goes and gets two road wins and things fall ahead of them, I don't think they're going to get up to three, but they could definitely get back into the top six. Montana State's at four. If they beat from Washington, they're going to stay at the least at four, maybe into the top two. Who knows? But we still could see all of that. I think that the main point here is that I think that uh, during the time off, we just forgot just how long football seasons are and the ebbs and flows of a football season. Uh, but it's just, it's weird. The, the, here we are, the beginning of November, and uh, I'm not saying there's not a lot of excitement. There's still a lot of excitement, but there's just not a lot of Diagnosis for us to do until we see some turning points here as the as the season progresses.
1: Yeah, now Montana State actually gets you know they had the, the challenge at Weber, um, which they come up, come away with a narrow victory, and then now they get to you know play Eastern Washington, who has been lighted up, man. I mean, Eastern's played really well, but then Eastern loses to Weber. Um, so they're the league the top it's top heavy like we expected it to be the top four or five teams we'll call it four teams are good um they're all coming playoff you know teams that make the playoffs i imagine especially what, what the schedules kind of look like for each down the stretch but you talk about montana the hard part for montana right now is that they need answers and i don't know if there are any so how, what does that look like how do you motivate it, you know your guys to to play better that's all it's going to come down to and you know they're going to have the effort so that's that's what i want to ask you about is playing better doesn't
0: necessarily mean play harder. I think that's actually what is the crux of Montana's entire issue right now. It's point blank, not debatable that they're hurt. Right. It's point blank, not debatable that they're young and they have an old coaching staff that's never coached young guys. But I think that the remedy and the elixir that they're trying to provide themselves is that just go as hard as you possibly can. Well, sometimes going as hard as you possibly can gets you 12 penalty flags on a Saturday. It's like Danny Sprinkle, Montana State head basketball coach, always said. You can sit here and bitch about the state of society, or you can embrace it because you can't change it. It ain't changing. Bobby Howe can say he hates targeting calls all he wants. It's the, And he can say he wants the rule to be changed. And I agree with him. But it's not changing right now. It's not changing in the next month of the season. So therefore, then you can't have targeting called against you every game. But there's a whole bunch of other things. But you're right. I mean, sometimes going hard does not necessarily mean playing better, right?
1: It doesn't. No, it does not. And I think in some units it can. And I think that's probably where Montana should turn, you know, as we think through this thing is is you got no running backs. You know, got no quarterbacks are hurt. Got a freshman in there. Got a freshman over there. Maybe that's not the answer for any of it. Maybe the answer is that you have to start winning games with big special teams plays. Right. You know, maybe it's that, you know, uh, that pump block unit needs to go get one. Like, and that's, you know, a staple of the, of the University of Montana program, but also it's a great way to motivate and also catch a spark on any level of any sport, is to get an auxiliary player to make a play. take some of the pressure off of the stars that are clearly feeling the pressure. Uh, so, yeah, Montana needs to figure out some balance on offense as far as maybe slow it down a little bit. Yeah. How do you do that, though, if you
0: have a, a very average offensive line with no depth and no running backs? A lot of different ways. Maybe Maybe huddle? Maybe huddle. Maybe take a snap under the center.
1: Maybe, like when I draw up the tight end button hook, where you run a tight end three and a half yards past the line of scrimmage and they turn around and you throw it to their face and you stick it right in the face mask. I and mean, you look, three and a half <laughs> yards, running play. Um, yeah, there's. I think, well,
0: they run the little six yard button hook to the out about as much as anybody on the earth. I'll tell you that.
1: Right. And I think that the, the state of the Montana running game is quite clear. I would probably run it less, right? That makes sense. Maybe just run a little less. (laughs) Maybe not 24 carries for
0: the... Hundred sixty five pound converted high school quarterback.
1: Yeah, maybe not that. That doesn't seem like the best idea uh, to establish the run there. So yeah, I think that Montana should should switch up their tactic as far as like you're saying, Colter. I I think you know I I think slowing it down and keeping it in front of you is a really good motto for them in the next two weeks. But I think they're both get right games, which is the, which I think the Grizz are probably in a lot of ways lucky for the way that the schedule plays out. Is they've they've played most of their tough ones, and when we get to Cat Grizz, you, you know we'll we'll break that down in in perpetuity. But the fact that they have two get right games on the road, as you mentioned, um, you know, get out of Washington Grizzly, get out of Missoula, you know, just b- hunker down with just your team and your units and, and maybe back against the wall, worlds against us, that hold nine yards of uh, play on the road in general. I think it's probably positive at this point of the turning point of the season. And the cats, man, as you said, as steady as it gets. Um, hopefully, they don't get bored by the monotony, and I don't think that they are. Uh, and that's really interesting, right? I mean, yeah, Coach Vegan over there is uh, is about as steady as it gets, but he's definitely, surely not uh, some fire and brimstone motivator. Sure, you just don't want to go into an Eastern game and get down seventeen to three and, and be like, well, you know, we'll just stay steady here. That might not work either. So I think it's not. Yeah. it's a big turning point for them. I mean, this game is it's their whole season. It's also the league title. I, I've been thinking
0: about this though. How about how about this theory? I think for so long, there's this huge perception that you have to be so jacked up and, and ready to go into these big rivalry games. I don't think kids are wired like that anymore, man. I, I, I know that I'm a hater. I don't think kids can handle the pressure. I think it's 10% of kids can actually handle the pressure. 90% cannot and will not. They will fold. There's nothing you can do. That's why I think that the Washington win for Montana is one of the worst things that ever happened to them because then the the spotlight just beat down on them and how do you top that loss and you're trying to play like the number one team in the country and then you get hurt and you can't and then... 6,000 less people don't show up to Washington Grizzly Stadium when Southern Utah's in town. And you're wondering, like, does our own fan base even hate us? Like, all the commentary about our team is that we're not any good, even though we keep winning. And I think it just makes you crumble. I guess what I'm getting at is you're either winning. I think that teams either win now based on consistency and expectation or fun. And I think that Brent Vegan has the first one. And I don't know what Bobby Houck has uh, when it comes to either of those things. He does have expectation. Coach Houck certainly has expectation. Not a lot of fun. I don't think Brent Vegan has a lot of fun either, but I do think that Taylor Housewright and Freddie Banks do bring some fun. So, uh, I don't know. I, I guess guess what I'm saying is that NDSU never had a Jeff Choate or a Jay Hill as their head coach, and they've won eight out of the last nine national championships. They had a bunch of Brent Vegans. That might be the key to winning in college football this day and age.
1: That's a really good take. I mean, I think that it's overwhelmingly true. To say it about kids is, I'd push back in the sense that it takes a lot of courage to run full speed head-to-head into another man. No question. Um, so whether or not that that has to do with um, how tough you are yeah. or the mental stability of, of of a kid taking on the pressure that we all provide, that we all put on top of them, You know, we we, we, we build a mountain for them to have to lay under. Sure. Um but I do understand what you're saying about the, the, the new age and you know, I talked to a, a, a friend of mine who's in the in the West and, and high up in the ranks of football talking about the University of Wyoming and, you know, Craig Bowl and kind of that program and is is a guy like Craig Bowl's time short. To be able to not only recruit, but to but to motivate his style of program, where it's you know the the, the spotlight's not a, on anyone a lot like Coach Houck does. Uh, the expectations are high, but no one gets any credit. You know, it's not it's it's a it's a militar, militaristic style program. But, you know, Pat, the buck stops here. Don't pass it anywhere. Those guys may be short lived, but at Montana, I still think that the way that Bobby goes about the things can be very functional but if if stuff gets away from you like it has right now and you said it Colter, I mean we've talked extensively that he kind of set it up for with the biggest win in in Grizz history he said it and then said the Grizz are number five we're back you know he said things like that uh, the Grizz are back um it's a that's you know we built this mountain but that's a little bit of a snow cap on top a little extra weight there don't you think? Yes,
0: and I've been thinking about this so much too. I know that the comparing and contrasting between eras is so tough because the world's changed so much, and also sometimes it's unfair, but I also do think that Bobby Houck operated this whole militaristic no-star system for his first seven years at Montana, yet Montana had still so many stars, and they still had a hierarchy of leadership within their program. But that's because guys used to just be way more mature than they are now. Now, it's very rare that a guy makes himself into a star. Your coach has to do it for you, or your social media team has to do it for you, or your sports information team has to do it for you, or your university has to do it for you. And sometimes if you make yourself into a star, like Troy Anderson in Montana State, you don't like it. You did not even want it. It wasn't even a goal. It is just what happened to you. Isaiah Fonse, he's not into it. He's not trying to be a star. doesn't want to be a star. World wants to be a star. Not into it. Chase Benson, nope. Not doing interviews this year. Don't care. Don't want to be a star. Sometimes that helps you succeed, though. But the structure of a football team is not like a military unit. The structure of a football team is like a tribe. You have to have a chief, and then you have to have main warriors, and then you have to have soldiers after that. You can't have one general and then a whole army. You can when you have an unbelievable number of talented players. First of all, Montana and no one else in the country is in that situation because of the COVID year because everybody had three recruiting classes stacked on top of each other. So you have five different types of freshmen. There's 60 freshmen on the Grizz. There's 60 freshmen on the Cats. I just think that it's against the nature of sport and football to not have stars. I don't think you want to have prima donnas. You don't want to have Terrell Owens. But what does Brett Vegan do better than anybody in this league in terms of when he's talking about his team? He, f- matter of factly, without hyperbole, states the hierarchy of his roster. The guys that played when Chase Benson were out did very well. They're not Chase Benson because Chase Benson is better than them. He says that all the time. Right. That's important. We're looking at SWX Montana Television as we record this right now. Byron Rollins is just on the screen. Byron Rollins is having a good year. He's been solid. He's been rotating in. He's getting a lot more playing time with Kyle Rigg out and Chase Benson missing the Idaho State game. But within the organization, everybody in the organization knows that Chase Benson is better. And that's okay. Because Byron Rollins is trying to play up to that level. This whole, like, no one's going to be better thing is, uh, it's crazy. And more than crazy, though. I actually like it in certain ways from an old school principal standpoint. But I think that it's not realistic for this day and age you need your receiver to be a star that's the point he's the guy that's gonna like what what Bobby Houck's teams win based on momentum and huge like energy plays what's a bigger energy play like Bobby Houck can take so much credit for it when he's scheming up kick return plays and stuff like that but more other than that what's the biggest plays that Montana scored always over the last 20 years deep shots to Mark Mariani or Sammy Akim or Samari Torre or whatever. Bombs. When's the last time we saw the Grizz throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field? It doesn't happen. So, uh, I don't know. I don't think that's actually even a culture thing. I think that's more of a matter of the coaches not trusting the kids. But I just I just think that it's short-sighted to try to operate outside of the spectrum of the society that we live in.
1: I hear you. I agree with you. It's also very funny that I think that a lot of coaches, and, you know, I'm not speaking for Bobby Hauke. He's not here. Uh he might have you know a, a opposite viewpoint, but you can be you can run a player run program and not be a player's coach, right? You can you can that's right. That's what Montana used to do, and now right. everyone's on eggshells wondering if he's going to snap and rip your head off and not let that's, you come to the press yeah. conference. And it used to be that in a really strong organization, the leadership sets up a structure for leaders to arise and then the leaders run it all. I don't even think that that's happening at Montana anymore, in the sense that everyone's just keeps looking to their left or looking to their right and wondering who's going to mess up next and who's going to take the wrath and i don't even know if the wrath's internal but like i say like every now and then coach Huck won't let a player come to a press conference as like punishment sure and and that, that's that that's then that's him stepping into the role of well now it's i make all the decisions instead of the leadership making the decisions right
0: right and so this is this is what i'm talking about is like when i was in college guys would push back against that and i don't know if guys do that anymore like now, guys sit there and look at Bobby every single time when they're going to answer a question. Right. Our good friend Cole Burkos used to come in there and say whatever the hell he wanted, and he would get in trouble afterwards. and he didn't care at all.
1: It's not trouble. You just got to no, right. just, exactly. just, just take like that. Someone's like kind of mad at you. It's not that big a right.
0: deal. Right. Right. But that's also what coaches like Bobby. How want to though? They want you to stand that's up. The to whole him. That's and the no whole point. That's the whole
1: point. No one's doing it. Right. No one's doing it there. It's. I. It's I, just I, like the Travis Teakira
0: thing. Travis will always yell at you, and if if you cower to that, it's over. If you go back at him, like that's why Side Pritchett's like his favorite play. Yeah, because Travis would yell at him and side would yell back, and it's like, sweet. Sick them. Let's go get them.
1: Right, and Ahmad used to do the same thing. Exactly, Mod Rory, Rory, same thing. And and Michael Gine could take it in a different way, but not necessarily push back, but you know, show you with effort and right. Yeah, are yeah. Like, oh, are you challenging me? Great, yeah, right. I'm gonna go, go get backside it. Yeah. dunk it. Totally, I mean, it's true. I, it is true, and it's, that, that's part of the nuance of coaching, right? That's the nuance of parenting. That's the nuance of life is is to, is to put little treasures and little challenges everywhere for people and, and let them find them on their own. I think that's kind of the whole point, right? But as you say, there's. There's new-age kids that may not get it quite the same. But it all with Montana, if there's not strong quarterback play and there's no, like you said, the the offensive line is, has settled down to, or settled in to be more or less average... It's really hard offensively to come up short and let a defense that's as talented as Montana have to try to carry the load. Um, you know, we saw them earlier in the game this year against Cal Poly score, I think, four times not on offense. Right. <laughs> you know, and they they only won by like... 39-7. Yeah, they won by four scores. Right. It seems like that that can also create a little conflict as well, and that's really hard to overcome because you, you can't pick up free agent quarterbacks at this level.
0: Okay, let's talk about the upcoming
1: game because
0: it's a... <laughs> we could talk ourselves in circles about the state of
1: <laughs> We Digress. Like Mike Kramer says, 26,000 people don't pay all that hard-earned money to go watch the Grizz lose. That's right. It's true. It's definitely true.
0: The uh, Grizz play at Northern Colorado on Saturday. UNC deserves a ton of credit. Uh, I was very critical of Northern Colorado, uh, as were you, after they we saw them in Bozeman. Uh, they looked uh, ill-prepared. Uh, they just had some talent, but like not really any idea where to go or what to do. Montana State committed, so this is the thing, you can talk about the, the Montana game against Southern Utah. Penalties, turnovers, whatever. Bobcats committed four either holding or personal foul penalties in the red zone and also committed two turnovers in the red zone against Northern Colorado and still won 40-7 to because that's what you do when you're playing an overmatched team. That said, though, Northern Colorado does deserve some credit because they have gotten better. They're, I think that they decided uh, that they weren't going to win with the coach's kid playing quarterback. I think they decided they're going to have to win playing defense, and they have. They won three games this year. Three more and I thought they were going to win, each one in which they scored 17 points. <laughs> 17 points in each of their three victories. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so definitely not a rollover game as maybe some anticipated for the Grizzlies on Saturday and Greeley. But the game that most of the eyes around the big sky are going to be on, one of the games of the year. Eastern Washington hosting Montana State. I know what I think are the key matchups in this game, but what do you think of uh, this game between the number four and number five teams in the country?
1: I think it's eastern against the clock.
0: Right. It's good.
1: I think if Montana State can can muster up 38 minutes of possession that they win and they win the way they want to. Yeah. It'll be so interesting to see what Eastern decides to do cuz I could totally see them come out and just run the ball 22 straight times. Right. You know? Like what is how do you beat a really really good defense? You just have to do something completely new, brand new. But do you? No. Because here's no, you thing. don't. Not, not here's, here's
0: the thing about the Cats, though, is their deal has been lights out.
1: What if Chase Spence doesn't play?
0: Right. What if Chase Benson and Callahan Riley don't play? Uh, but also Montana hasn't pl- Montana State excuse me has not played a team that throws the ball like Eastern.
1: Oh no. because well, no, isn't cause no that, one has. Colter. Right. No,
0: I understand. But but also Montana State hasn't played anybody that throws the ball at all. Like Cal Poly tries to throw the ball a little bit or whatever. They didn't even do that in Bozeman. They ran the option
1: instead. Freshman corners.
0: Dylan McCaffrey threw seventeen passes to the running back in the flat. That was the 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 total number of their deal. I think he throws underhand. I could. <laughs> yeah. Like the Weber State game. When they were throwing out the ball down the field on the very first possession, you you texted me. You said, "Welcome the big sky, young corners." Yeah, because these guys haven't been tested. Yeah, totally. but then we were away from that, and they let Montana State lure them into a boxing match, right. and then the Bobcats just beat them. That ain't happening with Eastern though. Aaron Best does like to run the ball more than his predecessors did, but they still got to do it. I mean, no matter what happens at Eastern Washington, they are going to make sure that Eric Berrier throws for 425 yards. Oh, game.
1: for sure, for sure. Like
0: they are. He. This is stat stuffing. The number one goal for Eastern Washington is stat stuffing for Eric Berry. So right I mean to me it's like they might do something completely different but or maybe not maybe it's completely different for what the cats have seen and they just attack the the perimeter
1: in my, my point being that I don't think that Eastern's going to come out and run the ball for the entire game my point was that you try to go snag as much time possession as you can if you're Eastern. Because that is, I think, that what almost the only way the Cats are going to be able to do it, you know, is that if they have the time possession. So, Eastern, it wouldn't be that they're going to focus on the run, is that they're going to try to hold the clock. I mean, Eastern's averaging 52 points, Coulter, but Montana right. State's averaging 33. Right. So, in a sense, you don't necessarily want Montana State to, to have the ball a bunch either, you know? I think that you try to mitigate that in some fashion. I do agree, you're going kind to of stat stuff. I do agree, Eric Berry is going to get off. You know, I said this all week. Eric Berry is going to throw close to 400 yards, or he'll throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Bear mitt, you know, like for it's sure. just this, 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 the what's going to happen. Montana State hasn't had those corners tested. What does Simeon Woodyard and Eric Zambrano think when they've given up back-to-back touchdowns, even though you're still in control of the game potentially? Like, you have to be able to hang in there and, and deal with that.
0: How big of a factor is it that they have no idea? I think it's a huge advantage. A huge advantage.
1: I agree. I agree. But there's also... As of
0: right now, Eric Zambrano in his head. like I interviewed him on media today. I said, uh, what are you looking forward to? Or I can't remember what I asked him, but I said something about playing corner in the Big Sky. He said, oh, the Big Sky doesn't even know what they're getting. on the best cornerback in the league. And in his mind right now, why wouldn't he still think that? He hasn't got torched by
1: anybody. Totally. Simi Water has been lights out good. I mean, those guys have been awesome. They've been awesome. I agree. They're awesome. Um, Eric Berry is a different beast, man. Absolutely. You know,
0: I mean. That's why that's why the Eastern system is so much different than what we were just talking about with all the stuff with Montana and Montana State. And it's also why it's been so sustainable and it hasn't taken any sort of hitch in the new age, quote unquote. Because Eastern, it's all about making plays. That's it. We're making plays. You're making plays. Let's go. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We're going to make more plays than you. Hey, Be confident, be confident. We're gonna make plays. It's like after the Montana game, somebody asked Aaron Best. Giving kids
1: confidence? Is that what you're saying? Right. That's amazing. Like after the Montana game,
0: after the Montana game, somebody asked Aaron Best, Coach, what was it like riding the emotional roller coaster of this game? And he said, You must have not been here before. This is how we win every game at home. Because it's true. I'd never been I've covered Eastern Washington teams and went freaking undefeated. And I never covered a two-score game at Eastern Washington. Hardly ever. Like, there's been a couple times when they just completely ran roughshod over, like, uh, some of those pretty mediocre Montana teams in the mid-2010s. But, like, that's what Eastern does, man. In big games like this, they just beat you 52-45. to They beat you 55-50 to because they just don't care, man. Because at the end of the day, who cares? If you got the ball last, you make the play. It's what it is, right?
1: It is. It's absolutely true, and we, I've seen a bunch of them as well. Um, one of the really interesting things about Eric Berrier, I think scouting him, or building a plan for him, <laughs> is that you see it on tape and everything, and you're like, it's it's like, okay, maybe we have a chance. And then you see him in real life on the first step, and you look across, and you're like, we got this. Right. This dude? Right. No, like Eric Zambrano has probably played against like dudes that went to the Pac-12 that are 6'5 gunslingers, and right. he's looking at Eric Barrier like, this guy? And even during the game, it can be into the fourth quarter, and you're still like, well, he's out of the pocket right now. He's not that fast. Right. Like, somehow in your head, even... You are there in person. You're on the sidelines. You're in the game. You're watching on TV. There's this thing of like, well, he's he's so good, but he's not he's not a, he's not a ninety nine, right? He says he's this is Superman, and he's he's freaking Superman. Yes, he's the
0: realest of the deal. Maybe ever. There's just nobody that can just chuck it like him, man. Chuck
1: it. He just chucks it. No laces, baby.
0: Yeah, like he, he he can run the quick game, pull it quick, RPO fast, whatever. But it's when he seriously stands in the pocket, stares down the gun barrel, it takes the Jace Lewis blitz straight to his face, and just lets the ball whistle, and, and it, it's
1: in the bucket. He Doesn't even have to step into it that hard. He can throw it 50 yards on the dot. On a dot.
0: That's the thing where I just don't even know how you practice it. You don't. That's
1: the. That's hard. Yep.
0: Because. <laughs> No, there's not a program in the country that takes more than four or five shots a game. They're, the Eastern is taking 20 on Saturday. As soon as they hit two, now you're creeping. And now it's deep shot. Oh, no, it's a 17-yard hitch. Oh, now it's a skinny post with Talolu Limu jones Whatever. Over and over and I mean, over again.
1: jones is leading the league in, in receiving yards, and he's only played like five games. I know. Well, it's because he had about 500 receiving yards against Montana. I, yeah. It, I mean, he just... caught four 50-yard passes against
0: the ground. Is he back? He's back.
1: Yeah. He's a player, man.
0: So it's... uh. It's going to be fascinating. I I I think what you said. It's Eastern versus the clock. Uh, I just I can't really imagine that Eastern's going to have any way to stop Isaiah Fonseca because
1: no one does. <laughs> right. No, the answer is that you you don't think you know.
0: And I I also think like Jack Settlebach and Kalen Kreiner got a ton of credit for their performance against the Grizz and they played great. They did. They played really good. Running guys down the open field and smashing guys and stuff. I like Gabe Sulcer a lot. I think Middle League Flowers is really explosive and good. Uh, you know, Junior Bergen's going to be a great player. None of those guys are Isaiah Fonse. It's not even close. I mean, like, yeah. You can light – I guess what I'm saying is, like, you're pretty normal at big sky player. Those guys can light him. Jack Settlebuck does look like a huge hard hitter, really nasty middle linebacker.
1: Number 22 in Montana State humbles a lot of guys pretty quick. He humbles them all, in fact. Uh, we, we, we've said it, and if anyone listening has some evidence, um, I don't think that he's ever got flat-backed. <laughs> Dude. He stops
0: in space. He he just stops and then squats and then thrusts himself into people. It's like, it's like being in a break room as a ninja. It's crazy, man. Like, I don't know. I I think it's so funny because all these coaches fall into the cliches are like, they always say he's like not that big and fast. And it's like, first of all, he might not be that tall. He's so big yeah I mean his lower body is NFL big I mean he has an amazing lower body
1: yeah that's the classic it's the classic NFL thing and we're not saying Isaiah is NFL at all but it's a classic NFL thing when you want steel bones I was telling right. Bill Lambert Montana State's SID about this you know you want guys that have hard bones where they can be small they can be big they can weigh 165 pounds they can weigh 240 pounds when they hit you it's so different it shakes you because of their structure steel um, it, it, it's only on every college football team there is that most 15 of them you know right but there is this this different thing and it's a lot of times it's some farm kids mm-hmm. you know it's this or that it's 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 this this different style of structure that isaiah infante has he has a 78 yard touchdown this year i mean you don't you, you're not slow to score 80 yard touchdown division one college football right yeah he uh he gets after it, man um uh, he's the best best running back in the conference right culture oh not oh, gonna yeah. let it be and he's i think he probably might be the best running back in the in the, in the country so you look i mean he's got 910 yards rushing in eight games you know that's on pace for one of the best seasons in, in in Montana State history. I mean, right up there.
0: It's why when we talk about like the mentality to come into these big games, you do have to get your guys up to get in a fight if you're Eastern, because that's what Montana State wants to do. They will bludgeon you with uh, Afonso and Elijah. I mean, I think Elijah Elliott is actually the X factor in this game. He's real deal. He hasn't that, played as much the last couple weeks. Well, right, because they've been giving it the ball to Afonso. That's uh, he hasn't played much that much that much because uh, I guess Idaho State, I State had the ball for 43 minutes, and they gave Afonse 20 carries. That's all your plays if you're Montana State. Oh, I
1: was there. It was it was lovely.
0: And, and then they, you know, Matt McKay had to throw a couple sideways sidearms. Uh that that's the other key factor here for for Montana State is they just gotta get Matt McKay right. Matt McKay doesn't have to do anything besides not implode.
1: Right. I you know what I've been interested in is when he's not right. The answer, when it's not going great, or to get him started, what's the answer been all year? Tommy him a lot. Well, yeah, but also... McCutcheon. McCutcheon. Throw the ball to McCutcheon. Like, Last against Idaho State, they, they miss the first play of the game. They, they throw a deep shot and barely miss it. But that's what you got to do. And mm-hmm. every change of possession, Montana State takes a shot. Every single change of possession, every turnover, every punt, everything, they, they take a shot. Willie Patterson had that big touchdown against Idaho State as well. I don't think to get Matt McKay going, you should be throwing it four yards, even though he doesn't have the strongest arm and he's so efficient and that's what his game is. I don't think that that's necessarily how I would work it. No. Put him in the quarterback running game. We've talked about this, how he needs to pull the ball. He needs to run it 8 to 10 times a game. He needs to. For Infante for the sake of Montana State in general, he has to run the ball some. But also, then I would just stick with the the bludgeoning run game and then just taking these deep shots, deep shot after deep shot after deep shot. And it's only to a couple guys. I don't know why they're not getting deeper in that bag. Um, But it seems to me that, you know, to get Matt McKay right, it's not going to be doing the same things, if that makes sense. No question. It's to get the ball downfield and also – Work him in. Can we throw a screen pass? Let's let's make a new Skyline Sports mission statement. <sighs> throw it to the tight end, and by golly, throw a screen pass every game. One of just one. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just so funny, man. College
0: football systems, man. The overthinking is crazy. That's the biggest thing I think that football fans don't understand is that college is way more complicated than the NFL.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Like, what do they do in the NFL? Explain the matchups that they're going to win, at, and then they do that. Right. Like, these college offensive coordinators, they could call 200 freaking plays. <laughs> right. There's 200 plays that they got at their disposal. Right. You practice all of them. I think it's actually even worse because of the extra practice time during the pandemic too because you had three spring balls and two fall camps. Now, you do have all this stuff, and we might might maybe run it maybe once sometime ever. The Packers don't even run plays sometimes. They seriously just run Devonta Adams single side and just Aaron Rodgers throw them open. Just throw them open. Throw to a spot that nobody can get to. Totally. Right? So it is funny the way that it all works. Okay, so last... Question, last question on the Grizz side of this thing. So sort of an open-ended question. Montana's only lost at Northern Colorado one time. I think that you could say that that was among, if not the largest factor in Bob Stitt's non-renewal as the head coach at Montana. If Montana lost this weekend, though, it seems as if, even though there's been all sorts of scrutiny raining down on the Grizz for the last month, that the narrative would still somehow be different.
1: Why? Well, they've built up a bevy of, of excuses. 60 freshmen. That's not an excuse. That's the fact, right? Right. I don't think, I think a lot of people thought Bob Stitt um, had recruited poorly as far as the offensive line had started to regress and you had 40 receivers on the field or on the roster.
0: And what if the offensive line just has been regressed? The last first team all-conference offensive lineman for the Grizzlies was 10 years ago. That's that's crazy.
1: I hear you. Let me finish. They, I think from the outside or right now, the reason it's different is that if that were to happen to this Grizz team, Bobby Hout could tell you why. Bob mm. Stitt couldn't.
0: More importantly, Bobby Hawk would tell you it's not okay,
1: and Bob Stitt would tell you that it was, and that they're a pretty good team. It's That's, tough the to play on the road. That's the difference. That's the sure. difference, That's the difference. Montana can't lose to Northern Colorado. I I don't think it's actually <laughs> possible. <laughs> they can't. No, I saw him live. I I, I I actually <laughs> promise you, I think that they could play their their, their defense on offense. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, Dylan, man. Dylan McCaffrey. I don't exactly know what class he's in off the top of my head. He's the a senior. He's a senior. senior. Yeah. Okay, so he doesn't have any more time to. Develop then, because uh, no. he need he needs some more. He needs some more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, all right. Okay, player. But uh, I think his dad needs a, li- a little a little bit more time as well. Well, then, last question on the Montana Eastern Washington
0: side. So unquestionably the biggest game of Brent Vegan's career so far. Uh, we'll see how he rises to the occasion. I think that I love me some Jeff Choate as much as anybody. I can't tell you how impressed I've been with Brent Vegan. <laughs> I
1: know, I know.
0: And when you when you talk to him. So, I said this on the podcast one time before, but but somebody put it in perspective for me. He said, you Choate just seemed like the coolest guy from Montana ever. He's from St. Mary's, Idaho. It's basically Montana, whatever. Like, that's cut from the same cloth. That's the guy you hope you run into at the small town bar in Dillon. Like, this is Jeff Choate. So, you want to talk to that guy because he's going to have great stories. Totally full of it. You love it. You eat it up. You know, he's telling fishing tales, hunting tales, fighting tales. Everybody's got a story. It's like living in a mining camp. It's like our dad used to tell stories like this all the time. And so he's so familiar to people in Montana. So you just think he's so cool. And then you're the Bobcats. And even though objectively, you've been the better team in the rivalry during the duration of the Big Sky Conference era. That's the facts, people. If you don't believe me, you can say all you want about the the record in the Cat Grizz rivalry. Uh, the the vast majority of the 70-plus wins that Montana has in that rivalry were before the teams were even in the same division, let alone the same conference. If you break down the Big Sky Conference era, Montana State's up one in the all-time record. And uh, over the last 10 years, Montana State's up 6-4. So, uh, despite all that, though, there was still some this lingering inferiority complex among the Bobcats, so they just loved the toughness that choke brah. But then somebody put this in perspective. They said, don't think of Brent vegan as anybody that's ever had anything to do with Montana. Cause he's not think of him as a dude from middle of nowhere, North Dakota. Cause that's what he is. And it's the truth, man.
1: North Dakota.
0: He's just helping you when you're broke down on the road, he's going to come help you. But the lack of volatility is amazingly refreshing because we talk about these coaches, oh gosh, it's man, Like the coaches are, these coaches are crazy, man. They're all over the place. The volatility is nuts and vegan is not, he's like the same all the time. Like, you can say that's lame that he doesn't get all crazy during games. Well, he also doesn't get flags thrown on him and, you know, freak out on players and just abonish you know just admonish them to the the bench for the rest of the game you know I I've, I've never even seen I never even noticed him in
1: a game yeah Jeff Chaut would take over and literally start drawing plays in the sand he'd be the offensive coordinator the whole <laughs> <Right>. second half
0: <laughs> right I mean think about Willie Patterson's had two different times where he's fielded punts when the ball was clearly going to drop or that like he waved a fair catch he ran in front of it and then he like circles back around to get it or like the ball's rolling down the field and he just like sneaks over next I mean dude Choate's throwing him physically out of Bobcat Stadium if he does that and vegan does, I don't even know if he can talk to him you know the only time I ever saw vegan get mad was when the streaker was running across the, the field and Charles oh Brown, he hates stuff like that well but it was he, more than that he hated that Charles Brown just sweep kicked this guy <laughs> which was so funny um but that's all to say this is a huge game for Brent vegan and Montana State uh, no question uh, but I also think it's a huge game for Aaron Best and I was down on Eastern coming into this year and I will fully eat crow on that one as well because I was so interested to see what Aaron Best did when he didn't have a bunch of Bo Baldwin's players. That still remains a question because there is one Bo Baldwin guy left. And there's a couple guys on this squad that are Bo Baldwin recruits but the number one guy is the guy playing quarterback. So we'll see where we go from here. But I also think Aaron Best has settled in tremendously. I mean you came in the studio and you heard the interview I was doing with him. He is it seems way more just fluid in, in his way of thinking and being and um, I think his guys are buying what he's selling. I think they are. I think so too. I think they play hard. Yeah, they do play hard. They have a defined identity. Yep. They, you know, I think that's it. Is you just have to know like how are you going to win this game? More importantly, it's like how are you going to win? Period. Eastern's formula for winning doesn't matter who you play. That's why they're so consistent. I think Montana, Montana State can take some lessons from that. But it's all to say though that I do think that Eastern versus the clock, the young cat corners versus the dynamic Eastern receivers are two huge matchups. I also think though can Aaron best take take one next step and truly affirm himself he's de- he's a good coach can he affirm himself as one of if not the elite coaches in this league and can Brent vegan as well I think the head coaching matchup is a pretty fascinating one in this in this ball game
1: yeah and it's hard it's it, we always talk about when you haven't seen a a coach a player before it's the same with coaches it's sometimes hard to know how to scout and prepare for a team like montana state right now if you're eastern because you just don't know what vegan's gonna do you just you just don't have any sample size for it he could do something new he could stay as steady as he's been and, and also could you know throw a little wrench in it and and, and a couple new folds especially come out of by so yeah it's a huge game but i don't think brett vegan would even feel that the way that he is demeanor is it's, he's one of the most interesting is the wrong word he's very he's a very for lack of a better term, interesting person. I do enjoy listening to him talk if you if you break it all down and you really really listen to the nuts and bolts of it he answers questions thoroughly and quite honestly which is a positive aspect from our side of things right yeah yep. we'll see because um going on the road you know the weber win was a big one um, but weber's a little bit undermanned especially offensively so this is a whole different beast and on the aaron best note aaron best is believing believes what he's selling you exactly. know these guys do though now but the thing is for a coach it's what has he been in the league five years is this year five
0: hmm Bob Baldwin left after 2016. So, yeah, I guess this is his fourth season, fifth at the helm. Fifth year,
1: right. It's not surprising to me that, guess what? When you step into those shoes and you start talking and pitching and, and getting up in front of the team, you've never done that before. So sometimes you don't even know if you believe yourself, right? I mean, and so... I think he does now, and that's such a huge level of confidence that he's always had a lot of confidence. He's always been a fast talker. He's always a guy that can motivate. But I think now there's a little bit more of a wholesome nature or uh, it's an all-encompassing nature of confidence that comes from him that has always been within the teams. But I think he's feeling it now from himself, not just from being part of the Eastern program. That's a huge step. Part of it comes down to his staff, too. Because it, it
0: wasn't only that he had... Like, the, the team he took to the national championship game in his second year had 28 seniors that were all recruited by a different head coach. Right. But then that right, whole right. staff was also Bo Baldwin's staff. of them, right. Because Bo Baldwin didn't take a head coaching job. He left for a coordinator job. So that all those guys stayed. And then they all left. For no other reason than you just strike when the iron's hot, right? Like if you're uh, Jeff Schmidting or, you know, uh, Bodie Reader, you know, the coordinators, whatever, you, you, you know, Nick Edwards, you, you go, you take the the better job, the, the, the more lucrative job, I should say. And so I do think they have some more continuity within their coaching staff as well. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications as well as Alpine Touch. Good stuff, man. Good having you in
1: studio. Yeah, it's always fun. This is a crazy time of year. Like you said, you know, when you take a little bit of a season off. Montana, Montana State certainly did. It's a long year. A lot can happen and there's still, you know, another full four or five weeks left in this thing, especially heading deep into the playoffs. Um, It's been good so far. At Blackfoot Communications,
0: our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Big Breakdown rolls on. Our good friend Ty Gregorak joins us now uh, to break down what we saw over the weekend and preview the weekend to come. And Ty, uh, we'll start with the Grizz game on Saturday. I said it extensively uh, on Nuanas Now on Monday. It was definitely one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. From the uh, jet sweep snap that went off Malik Flower's leg to the almost interception that then wasn't an interception to then multiple offsides that resulted in free plays to then... Uh, uh, just flurry of flags. Montana got penalized six consecutive plays at one point in this game. I've never seen anything like it. But I think that the cut and dry of it is: if you commit 19 penalties and the opponent accepts 12 of them for 125 yards, and you turn the ball over four times, and your senior quarterback gets knocked out of the game, and your senior All American kicker Turner gets knocked out of the game, and a couple of your running backs continue to get banged up, and uh, two of your offensive linemen go down, and then all of a sudden you still win 20 to 19. Uh, that's pretty anomalous. That's pretty not going to happen. Uh, pretty. Pretty much ever so I don't even really know what I watched on Saturday what did you think of the action in Missoula
2: well I mean the, first and foremost they won the game they, they, they won a, a conference game against a team that you know they, they don't have a whole lot to lose um, and you know they're going to get a, a, a fantastic effort um, from that outfit as, as one of the biggest and best stadiums that they're going to get to play in all year I think the most concerning the, t- the two the two real concerning things were one the penalties like you said and I know there was some You know, there's some penalties that, uh, you know, boys are playing hard. They got to be smart. They got to understand the referees. I I personally have never, (laughs) I've never been a huge fan of of the officiating in this conference. Um, But that being said, they got to be smart, you know, and, and uh, they were such a, a, um, you you know, for, for so long, for so many weeks, they were at the top of the league in terms of their discipline and, and being one of the least penalized teams. So, that was a little bit concerning and then and then obviously uh, you know Southern Utah had struggled so much defensively that I think a lot of people, you know, probably felt like the Grizz offense was gonna, you know, have a huge output that day and, and obviously that didn't happen. But but again, they won the game. And that's what I think a lot of times fans uh, take for granted. I mean they're gonna they're gonna nitpick and look at all the bad things that went wrong, but the best thing that went right is they won, period.
0: Well, you spent a lot of time coaching at Montana, and I think that the Grizz, the Bobcats too, I think the Montana schools are are looked at through a different lens than anybody else in the league. There's a lot more interest and exposure and hype and passion and all of that. I think that's what makes it great, but also Montana, particularly because of the unbelievable run of success that the Grizz had between, you know, let's say 93 and 2009— I think that scrutinized even more heavily. I guess what I'm saying is I don't really know if there's a team in this league, no matter who you're playing in this league, where if you turn the ball over like they have and you have a freshman quarterback and you're on your seven-string running back. I guess what I'm saying is that we were looking at Montana and everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong with Montana. Instead of if this, if Montana was in this, if Portland State was in the same situation or or Northern Arizona's in the same situation or Idaho is in the same situation, we'd be thinking, well, they're 6-2 and two with all that going on. These, these guys are, are rolling. These guys are you know, conference title contestants. These guys—that's a coach of the year candidate—and instead, it's like, what the hell's going on with Montana? So, I do think there's a huge dichotomy there.
2: Well, no question. I think I think the fan base wants to see a team clicking on all cylinders as we get to this point of the season, especially rolling into November like we are. And um, for that not to be the case, you know, is a little concerning and and worrisome uh, for the fans. And and I know Coach Houck and and that that staff. I mean, they're they're an excellent staff. They're they're going to continue to work and, uh, improve. And, you know, the, the games they remember are played in November, which, which begins, uh, this week, you know, so I think you're right. I mean, they, they're they Montana's got the best, biggest fan base in the league. And so they're going to be scrutinized the most, like you're saying. Um, I hate, I hate seeing the fans get on players. Uh, you, you know, I know, you know, and a kid like a kid, like Robbie Houck comes to mind and, and he's going to be scrutinized the most because his last name is Houck. He's the coach's kid, but I got to tell you, watching that kid's career, I love the way he plays. He plays hard, he plays fast, he plays nasty, and you know, for, for me, you know, like I'd almost like to see the, more of the team play the way he does. Now he's got to play smart, and he can't penalize his his team with with, with a late hit. Or I, were, were they both were they both personal fouls? Uh, Coulter, is that correct?
0: Yeah, and then they had three unsportsmanlike conducts, which that's another uh, can of worms because they were unsportsmanlike for arguing, which then that just goes down to the thick skin or lack thereof of the referees. But we don't even need to go down that. But yeah, it was a couple personal fouls.
2: I don't know. I just I, I, to, me, to me, there's more, there's more uh, fellas on that team that need to play with maybe a little bit of, of an edge the way Robbie plays. I like the way the kid plays. Again, he, he just has to be smart. And he's he, – he, hey, I mean, like like any coach's kid that plays for his dad. I mean, we remember, you know, Dan Hawkins and, and, and that situation at my alma mater at Colorado. Um, I mean, I, th- I think his son, uh, you know, who also played, you know, the biggest spotlight position there is in quarterback uh, was a- almost his undoing downfall at Colorado. I mean, I think there might be a lot of fans down at Colorado that, that, you know uh, – Maybe miss those days a little bit because at least they were competitive. You know, not now they're, you know, they're they're giving attaboys and good effort, uh, putting up four touchdowns against Oregon, in which they still lost by over three touchdowns. You know, so uh, again, they won the game. It probably wasn't as pretty and clean as, as it should have been. Uh, I know there was a lot of factors. I know, I know from from what I see and what I read, there is a lot of injuries on that team. You never want to use that as an excuse, but they won the game.
0: And now we're into November. So last question on the Grizz. They head to Northern Colorado. Uh, Northern Colorado actually has improved a lot. I was pretty critical of Northern Colorado when they came to Bozeman. I thought that they looked pretty unprepared and and pretty listless. They didn't have a lot of snap to them. They've been better the last couple weeks. And they almost took Sacramento State out this last weekend, as you know. Tie. there's some trips in this league where the trip is really tough, not because there's a bunch of fans, because there's not a bunch of fans. That's a weird thing when you go from playing in front of 25,000 to 3,000 or however many he's going to be at Nottingham Field on Saturday. So where are we at this overall with the Grizz right now heading into November?
2: Well, you're right. Uh, I believe it's Nottingham Field, is that's that? Is that? if that sounds correct that's right that is a tough place to go just because it is it is b y o bring your own energy because i mean they, they'll get a lot of, of uh, parents and, and montana actually has a decent fan base down there that will make the trip up north of Greeley. but um you're right because i was at that game here in bozeman and they they did not play a very clean game they they were kind of all over the place and trying to find a rhythm on offense i mean they could they could barely connect on you know in, their, in the screen game um so you know i i I know Northern Colorado's improved. I don't want to – you know, one could say trap game-ish. It's always been a tough place to go down and play just because – are they still playing on real grass down there?
0: They finally got turf.
2: They finally got turf. Okay, so – You know, that used to be, you know, you used to have to practice and prepare and and go down to the River Bowl fields just to practice on grass again. And and, uh, so it's good that it sounds like you got the the turf, which, you know, doesn't necessarily change much. It should never really change much in terms of the mindset of what you're trying to do. I mean, it's a big game. It's a big game. I know the opponent and their record maybe doesn't say so, but it's a big game because you're going on the road and, and, you know, just percentage-wise, I mean, I don't know if it's this year because this year's been such a wild and crazy year in college football but historically traditionally 70 75 percent of of home teams were winning games in this conference so um it's a big game a every, hey, every game is a big game moving forward if if they want to uh keep keep uh competing for the chances of, of their of their goals so i i don't know it's hopefully hopefully they can continue to try to get some guys healthy and get back to where they were you know <laughs> i mean I, I was thinking about it. I was, I was actually talking to my wife about this it seems like it seems like they're, they're just not the same team as they were when they went into Cheney and fought tooth and nail and ended up losing a very good game. It's so I true. I know that they lost the quarter. Yeah, I mean, they just – okay, so you start with the quarterback position. You lose your starting quarterback, a veteran leader, um, and that's a big loss but it just seemed almost uh you know hindsight 2020 but looking looking at that game now it was almost uh deflating in a way and and then to have the long trip home and then to go out and kind of struggle the next week against Dixie and then the loss against Sac State and they just they just got to find their rhythm again because they boy did they had they had some rhythm you look at the first month you know a m- little more than a month of football you're going wow this, this is a fantastic looking Grizz football team and now, now there's a lot of question marks. I still think they're, a, I still think they're. I mean, they they just regained. I, I think they're in the top ten again, number ten team in the country.
0: That's right. And kind of,
2: kind of, kind of how you started. How you started, my friend, is most, most, most fan bases, most programs would be rejoicing at six and two and number ten in the country. And you know, the Grizz faithful are. They have a lot of question marks, and I, I just think if, if, if hopefully they can go down on the road, weird environment to play, and go, go play a really crisp, clean, tough, edgy football game and get out of there with the wind, then, you know, uh, the next couple few weeks, set up nicely for them. I mean, they, they still have everything to play for.
0: It is an interesting dichotomy because sometimes I feel like the shadow of Montana and the way that it looms has a, an effect, and in some ways, uh, a pressure-packed and potentially even detrimental effect on the entire athletic department. And uh, you saw it with the Lady Grizz, too. I mean, trying to become what they once were. I mean, sometimes the the past overshadows the present and the future. So uh, it's certainly a fascinating dynamic and something that's uh, very interesting to talk about. Let's talk about the game Saturday in Cheney. Montana State coming off a of bye. Eastern Washington coming off a bye. This is number four Bobcats at the number five Eagles. Eastern coming off a 35-34 loss to Weber State at home. A lot of trickeration in that game. Uh, Jay Hill, Weber State head coach, dialed up three fake punts to get that thing done, and uh, Eastern's defense gave up a couple big plays. Uh, but to me, Ty, there's a whole bunch of different matchups in this game that I'm looking at, but more than anything, it's Montana State's run game. Can Eastern have anything for Isaiah Fonseca, or is Montana State going to dominate on the ground and control the clock? And on the other side, Montana State's young corners have been one of the pleasant surprises of the season across the league. But that said, they haven't played anybody that throws the ball even closer like Eastern Washington does. So what's your initial thoughts on this matchup on Saturday at the Inferno?
2: Something's got to give. And, and, and kind of what you were just saying, you got, you got the, the highest output offense in, in the FCS. I mean, in, in particularly the, the Big Sky. But I mean, when you're averaging 50 points a game and over 600 yards of offense, and a lot of the time you haven't even played your dudes you know into the fourth quarter or at least late in the fourth quarter you've got a defense that statistically is the best in the conference right now in terms of, of what they're giving up a game points wise I think that in games like this when, when I say something's got to give look for a special teams play look for you, you know uh, Eastern's kind of always been known in in these big games to have something up their sleeve in terms of a trick I, I think it's a fascinating matchup, and I, I think I, I don't I don't know if anyone in Bobcat Nation would have believed that they'd be undefeated in conference going into November. Uh, they've taken care of business, you know, against a lot of teams that they probably should have, just from a talent level. And, and now you've got a very talented outfit uh, led by one of the best, if not the best, uh, quarterbacks in the in the in the FCS. A guy that you know is is on track to go get a, the Walter Payton Award. I just think that you know this game probably. Probably going to come down to you know maybe maybe a big special teams play that can ignite one of these teams, um, and and then and then like you said the matchup between MSU finally playing a really really good. Uh, Passing offense, and Eastern's got to go play the best rush offense uh, in the conference. And so the rubber's going to meet the road at some point. I think it's going to be a it's going to be a really really fun game to watch. It's going to be a fun game to follow. Both teams have, uh, other other than Eastern's one hiccup in in league play against you know again Weber State's won the damn conference four in a row, and Montana state, one hiccup on the road, the very first game of the year. Well, seven going into eight weeks later, they haven't lost a game. So it's a Boy, this, this, this game's got so much on the line for both these teams. And, and uh, we're going we're gonna to know – well, in theory, we'll, we, we should know a lot more about the way the the conference is going to shape up here for the next two weeks remaining after this game because something's got to give. Some Someone – Eastern's going to get their second league loss or Montana State will finally get their first, first league loss. So it, it will be fascinating to see how this thing plays out.
0: Well, that's why – sometimes where you start in the polls and then the draw that you get if you're a Big Sky team, it determines so much. Like Sac State is undefeated in league right now, but they didn't start in the preseason top 25. They might go undefeated in league this year and still not be ranked as high. I mean, they might get up to where Montana's ranked right now, but Montana's ranked 10 because they got all the way up to number two after the Washington win, and they even though they have the two losses, so there is some uh, fracturing there uh, in terms of where you start and then where you finish. But I also think that it's going to be interesting to see Uh, When we were watching Eastern Washington and Montana in Cheney a little more than a month ago, uh, I guess it was exactly a month ago. You could see some of the struggles of the Grizz offense. and I think there was a narrative coming out of that game that Eastern's defense played really well. I thought they played better than I expected them to, but also that was some foreshadowing for the struggles that have beset the Grizz offense for the last month since then. And uh, also, I just think that the weakness of the Eastern Washington defense is against a power run game, against a team that can run true power and counter and outside zone concepts like Montana say can. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, this is all about players. And I think that that's where Montana is struggling right now because I don't think they have, with the exception of Sammy Kim, an elite talent on offense, whereas Montana State has an absolutely elite talent on offense in Isaiah Fonse. They also have two elite players up front in Taylor Tuyasa Sopo and Lewis Kidd, and uh, they have a, a, just an array of elite players defensively, uh, but I think that everything I- inside the box it belongs to Montana State in this game, but everything on the perimeter belongs to Eastern Washington, and so can those young cat corners hang in there? I mean, from your perspective, from a defensive coach, how do you get young guys like that ready? Because Eastern, they're going to do exactly what they're going to do. They're going to run Talolo, Lemu-Jones, and Johnny Edwards straight up the seam, and Barry is going to chuck it. And uh, you you got to gotta make a play on the ball or you don't because it's going to be a 60-yard touchdown if you don't. So um, how do you get young corners ready for this sort of aerial assault like Eastern has?
2: These are the kind of games you live for. I mean, this is this is Eastern Washington, who in the last decade has been, you know, the, you know, one of, if not the, you know, probably not the last four years because Weber Weber's won the last four, but I mean, Eastern's still been a very, very good outfit. And so, I mean, that to me, that's what you're preaching is we the, the proof's in the pudding. We've won seven in a row. Now you get to go up against some some elite talent in this league and 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 get on a on a great stage to go do it. So I think I think defense. Defensively, you got to be cautious, not cautious uh about pressure and barrier because you know it's it's it fixes uh now now that being said you want to hit him too and so so what to to me if i'm if i'm if i'm working with these guys i'm looking at my d line and saying all right who, who, who uh, most of them are extremely veteran players, and hopefully they can get a guy like Chase Benson, who I know that one culture nuance on loves, and you know what? So do I, because he's a war daddy. I, I, I'm looking at my front four going, all right, boys, let, let's see what you got, because I, I, I want to I try to get as much pressure on Eric ba- Berrier with my front four as humanly possible so that my guys behind you can play real good coverage on, on an elite skilled group like Eastern.
0: Well, it'll be an interesting one for sure. This is a pivot point in the Big Sky Conference season. Montana's got a huge one because they got to have it if they want to keep it going and set up what I think that we thought they were capable of at the beginning of the year. And then Montana State, even if they have exceeded expectations, they can remain in the driver's seat with this weekend. So it should be a fun one, and we'll be back at it next week on the Big Sky Breakdown with Ty Gregorak to recap all this. Coach Ty, thanks so much for joining us, man.
2: Thank you, Colter. Have a great rest of your week.
0: Well, happy Breakdown. now. More Big Sky Breakdown. We welcome in. guy you know, I've known for a long time that has helped us a tremendous amount in building what we've built at Skyline Sports. Always kind enough to let us in the press box and let us into the games over there in Cheney, Washington. Former Eastern Washington Sports Information Director Dave Cook recently retired, and man, that sounds pretty good. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for being with us, man. How you doing?
3: Oh, doing terrific. Um, just, uh, I, am not that old, so I, I don't go back to those old Grizz, uh, or I mean, uh, Bobcat Eastern games back in the fifties, but I, I go back a few years for sure.
0: Well, tell us exactly when, when did you exactly start at Eastern Washington?
3: Well, I graduated from Central Washington, and you're familiar with Ellensburg, uh, but we graduated from there in 85 and then was at Eastern for one year in 1985, 86. And that was a great year for Eastern football. Made the playoffs for the first time and only their second year as FCF school. And, and then uh, basketball won 20 games. And so I just kind of got hooked by it. Um, was at Idaho for four years as the SID there, but then, uh, jumped at the chance to come back in 1990 when I got married and, uh, my wife's a teacher. So, um, it just was better in the state of Washington for us. And, uh, 1990 to 2021 i was i was the sid so
0: it was a, it was a fun run for sure so when it comes to football then did you work with dick zorns
3: Yes. Yeah. And, and I love Dick. Um, that, back then in the, in the 80s, we, we had a really small staff. There was basically an athletic director, an assistant athletic director, um, volleyball coach, kind of the primary women's administrator, then uh, myself, a business manager and a secretary. And that was it. So it was, it was pretty thin. And, uh, you know, over the years, as things have grown in college athletics and, and including Eastern, um, things have changed and, and there's a lot more staff. But um, but it was pretty bare bones back in the day.
0: Well, it's interesting because so many of our uh, audience, they know a lot about the modern history of of a lot of this stuff, you know, 21st century, uh, but sort of that early FCS era of Eastern Washington from 85 to about, uh, you know, I guess when Mike Kramer first left from Eastern to come to Montana State, maybe not as much uh, as far as being talked about. But what do you remember about Coach Zorns? Because uh, talking to coaches from around this area and around the league, guys that have been around, they have a lot of respect for what Dick Zorns did at uh, Eastern Washington. So what are some of your memories of him and and what do you think of just the way that he was able to sort of lay the foundation for what has been such a tremendously successful time in Division One for Eastern Washington?
3: Yes, uh, the, the best thing about Dick, though, is Dick was a player here in the 60s and then uh, was an assistant coach, and so he had a history with Eastern before he became head coach in 1979 and um, so he he had an idea Plus, the, you know back in, in when he came back in 79 there was a clear vision that, that the president and the athletic director were going to try to get eastern into the big sky conference so he scheduled all the big sky schools they eventually transitioned out of NAIA into a little bit in division 2 and then and then FCS and uh you know it just it couldn't have worked out better dick was the perfect person uh, very you know it, you know he's very uh, Energetic and very uh, fiery, but uh, but he also had that energy to to do that great rapport with the players. Uh, I think the highlight is they just keep getting highlights. But I ended up at Vegas this year when Eastern played UNLV, and there was just so many players from that era back um, to still support Eastern. And it said a lot about what, what Dick Sorens was all about. Um, the quarterback in that 85, uh, 86 era was Rick Warman. And he lives in Atlanta, Vegas, got all the guys back together. Uh, it was just a, a gr- great, um, time. Of course, Dick, Dick's older and doesn't get around as much. Um, one of my major disappointments was 2018, or no, I guess maybe that was 2010. We were supposed to room together in Frisco for the championship game. I guess it was 2010, and uh, and, and he got sick right before and couldn't do it. And you know, That was a disappointment because uh, I, I've, I've had great, basically, 40-year relationship with Dick, and, uh, and and it's good to see him. Saw so him at the last home game against Weber State last week, too.
0: Big Sky Conference during that initial era when you first worked at Eastern Washington as well, a league that looked a lot different than it does now. Still Idaho in the league for the first go-around, Nevada, Boise State in the league, Sac State, Portland State not in the league yet. Eastern was pretty new to the league at that exact moment. So what do you remember about just the Big Sky Conference in the early 1990s before some of the transitions started occurring maybe halfway through that decade?
3: Well, I, I in that 85 year that was my first uh, uh, real taste of it and and I remember Montana State's coming off that national championship and that was such a you know a, a great uh, thing for them and um, and then later to hear oh shoot Mike Kramer was on that staff and you know be able to meet Dave Arnold down the road and that kind of stuff was was pretty exciting but um, but the the 1984 or 85 Eastern team beat them and in, in in Bozeman uh, as well and so that was kind of a great um you know win. they've had they had wins over Montana in that era wins over Idaho in that era including the playoff win at the end of the 85 season so that just made it a natural fit um, of course Eastern wasn't allowed into the big sky in 85 uh, or in the in the spring of 85 originally um but um, eventually got in in 1987 and it, it's obviously I mean like you say it's it's been a great fit uh, my early um you, back when I came back in the '90s, I was so in awe of, of what the Grizz were accomplishing. Uh, and then Dave Guffey, the SID there, and wondering, shoot, how can how can he go through three home football playoff games in the middle of the start of basketball season? Um, and then in, the, in 2010, I found out <laughs> fast. You know, when uh, when we had to host, uh, you know, three games, or had the privilege to host three games, because home field advantage in the playoffs means such a such a difference. And Eastern was real fortunate to get some high seed, Um, even in 2010, have some other higher seed teams lose along the way, so you get home games, and and, and so that's probably going to be my biggest um, reflections, is just how many uh, playoff berths and how many playoff games we hosted. Um, As a matter of fact, last year's um, road game at North Dakota State it was the first road game for Eastern since um, 1999, I think it was. You know, so it it was just such a long, long road. Uh, you know, during that decade of the 2000s, and now it's so great to see you know Montana, Montana State having such great teams again, and uh, and then you, you Sacramento State with Troy Taylor in the mix. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. UC Davis is you know is, is pretty fabulous um, as well the last couple of years, and uh, And Weber State, I mean... But we knew they were going to come in here and, and give us a great fight. And, and I, that team was really excited after they beat Eastern two weeks ago um, because they knew they accomplished something special, and that was beating Eric Barrier at home where he was 16-0 as a starter and then snapping Eastern's 20-game home winning streak. But, uh, man, what a great league. Crazy.
0: It's absolutely crazy. One more question about the 90s that i got to ask you about because the guy that I have I almost even idolized because I just think he's such a fascinating human, and he's taught me so much about football as the man that was the head coach at Eastern Washington in the late 1990s. That's Mike Kramer. And uh, Krames, when you get him going, I mean, he is like a font of information. He's like a library in a person because of his reverence for history and everything that he remembers and the stories that he tells. And then you, you put it in this giant body with this deep voice, and he's like a movie character. But that must have been so fascinating to work as a sports information guy and, and facilitate media stuff for a guy like that. Shoot, when you started in the
3: introduction and saying, you know, great uh, Bobcat uh, he was, I thought you talked about Bill Laverty. I mean, I thought you were leading me up to <laughs> Bill Laverty. And, <laughs> and, you know, because we both came uh, at our respective schools at the same time in 1990. So, uh, so we were together, uh, Bill and I, in 1990, and uh, what a great uh, relationship we've had. And we both have the added advantage of being able to have worked with Mike Kramer um, because uh, he, was, he was a wonderful individual. He Human, a great human the big human but uh, a great human and uh, have loved his family for you know 30 years now since I came back in 90 that was about the first time I met him he was a uh, co- offensive line coach then and uh, and then became head coach in 1994 but um, just a wonderful person uh, you know a lot of times you know you had to look up the words he used because uh, and hundred percent of the time they fit what he was saying <laughs> he had a big vocabulary um, and so that was very impressive and, uh, and and he loved to talk to media and anybody to listen that was a fun thing. We've had him back a couple times for Hall of Fames and other events. I wish he was back more um, because uh, he is such a great uh, former uh, Eagle ambassador even though he left here and you know went to, went to you know, uh, Montana State and you know was at Washington State for a while too. Um, but um, but he he's a great person to, to have back on campus whenever he can make it.
0: When you talk about successful programs and the way that they're built, I, I love what, going through just the, the analog of the history of the different benchmarks. And it seems like that 97 season was a real benchmark for Eastern Washington. So uh, how much do you think that sort of foreshadowed then what has been such a successful run these last 20 years?
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and It really was you know, that 85 team getting in the playoffs, but it took a while before they could get back in. 92 was Eastern's first football championship, and they were in the playoffs. And then the 97 team um, was just fantastic. They actually lost in Bozeman, uh, just a a really tough game. The quarterback, Harry Leon, got knocked out late. It was just very physical. Um, It was kind of a a real downer. It was kind of almost, uh, you know, gosh, we're not as good as we thought we were type of situation. But but Coach Kramer had those, those guys back at it the next week and weeks after that and ended up playing three home football games at Albee Stadium in Spokane uh, that year and um, just barely made it. If there was replay back in the mid-'90s, like, uh, like there is now um, a couple uh, calls in that game might've gotten overturned and, and Eastern might've won over Youngstown state in the semis. But, um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic year. And, and those, those that's another group of players that uh, always come back, want to support Eastern and are and, and just such great Eagles. Um, and, and so, but, the, but that was, that was a that was the only loss and, you know, kind of a 10 game stretch there against Montana state. And, uh, that, that rivalry has just, you know, kind of been uh, fantastic as well over the years.
0: Well let's talk about this last twenty years at Eastern Washington then because I find it absolutely fascinating, but also a blueprint for how to build a successful FCS program. I think that the fact that been there's been a pretty steady identity at Eastern, even with from Kramer to Paul Wolf, Paul Wolf to Bo Baldwin, Bo Baldwin to Aaron Vest, the names change, but the style doesn't really change. I mean Eastern throws the ball all over the field. They're always gonna have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, they're always gonna have one of the most confident and explosive receiving cores in the country, they're always gonna going to score a bunch of points so how important has that been to just the the overall success at eastern washington particularly in the modern era
3: that is an amazing uh you know thing to think about is that that all those coaches you know eastern's never fired a coach in that stretch i mean never let one go and it's always been somebody following somebody else um you know where where Mike Kramer followed Dick Zorn, you know, and he was a member of Dick's staff, and on and on, you can keep going uh, on and on through. And so that's that's been the to me the most uh, the the most impressive thing about everything is just that c- continuity that they've been able to, to do from a coaching staff and uh, and now you know Coach Best being a former player in the mid 90s he played on that 97 team and uh, being a former player former assistant uh, had one year out in the CFL so he got to see things from a different perspective and then coming back as head coach has just made all the difference in the world. The thing that's changed over the years is back in the the 80s, Eastern was 90% 90 percent state of Washington players um, and as budgets have changed and adjusted Eastern's been able to get some more out-of-state players and that's where you've seen kind of that next level uh, quarterback next level wide receiver next level skill players really augment what we're able to do in the state of Washington particularly over in the in the puget Sound area and um, great relationships with coaches over the years you know camp program here in teeny um, had the Seahawks training Camp Arantini uh, for a couple different uh, times in the past you know, 50 years of their existence. And, um, and that's just been a real important um, factor, too. So you just kind of combine all the things and <laughs> it kind of overcomes the, the lack of a, uh, of a uh, newer stadium because, as you know, uh, Roose Field, formerly Woodward Field, is uh, 50 years old. Goes back to 1967 when it first <laughs> was was used. So, they, so they've overcome a lot of things, um, but they've, they've always kept the mindset that we're going to try to do as much as we can with less and um, and try to outwork everybody.
0: Well, the rice definitely took a next step there in the 2000s, but at that moment, Montana had it rolling so hard that it was hard for anybody to be peers with the Grizzlies in the Big Sky Conference. But then the 2010s roll around, and Eastern I think personifies why the playoff. M- format is so awesome because I remember covering that game in, uh, I believe it was in Bozeman in 2010 when Eastern lost 30-7 to and then they didn't lose again and I think it was 11 or 12 wins in a row it was one of the great hot streaks to ever end a season that we've seen, Um, but just a quintessential run all the way to the national title and crazy enough, that's the last Big Sky Conference team to win a national title. That's the last team other than North Dakota State eight times and James Madison once to win a national title, period. I don't think anybody saw that level of domination coming from anyone, NDSU or otherwise. Uh, But that 2010 season, that must be one of the best memories of your entire career because that was a pretty special team to watch, especially when they got rolling down the stretch.
3: Yeah, it was it was ugly times. Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, you know, threw a few pre- pick sixes that year, <laughs> and and they had to come from behind in like seven games, six games, something like that. And in the fourth quarter, it was just amazing how they did it. You know, we, I remember Northern Colorado kind of gave them up for dead at that point. And there were there were many times during that season where it didn't look like things were going their way, including the Delaware game and the national championship game when they they were up 20-0. and or 19-0. Uh, so, yeah, they, they just, uh, they, Bo Levi Mitchell was a special player where he, he, he never quit. He had, um, uh you know, real chip on his shoulder to come back from things. And, you know, he was a transfer from SMU. So he, he wanted to excel and look what he's done. The CFL, he's, uh, I know JC shirt was kind of the same boat. They won high school championships. They won college championships and they won, uh, CFL championships. And, and that's, uh, says a lot to, you know, how, what they're made of and, and how, you know, how competitive they really are. So, but that team was full of, of people, um, that, that played that way. Obviously, Bo, Bo uh, baldwin was the head coach and he was kind of a mastermind uh, offensively too and uh, i think and we had the johnson twins on defense and so they had some real anchors that year and uh and it all uh, kind of came to fruition and, and absolutely yes it, it'll be the the biggest memory uh, you know of my lifetime i'm sure um uh, in in athletics so um yeah <laughs> it just and it just set them up for uh, like like I said earlier, all those home playoff games through the 2000s with Vernon Adams, uh, and it just it just was a, a crazy run of games there uh, in the playoffs for Eastern.
0: The, that, that run then after the 2010, I mean, th- this is the, the other side of the coin when it comes to the playoffs, right? Is sometimes maybe the best team doesn't win. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw Cooper Cup, I, I sent you an email right away. I said, hey, I want to do a story on this guy. And I think we ended up writing like 20 stories on the guy because he was just so unbelievable. Uh, but then that 2016 team, I remember there was no Montana schools in the playoffs, so you were kind enough to host us over there uh, every single weekend for several in a row. And it was so fun covering that team, but that, that loss in the in in the semifinals, Youngstown State, a true heartbreaker for sure uh, for that group of guys. Um, but that must have been pretty special era as well, even though there wasn't a national championship involved. I think three or four semifinals trips. And, I mean, now we make sure to talk about him on my ESPN radio show every single week. Because Cooper Cup is, I mean, he's transcendent, man. He's one of the great receivers on the planet Earth. And that's pretty crazy that he was in the Big Sky Conference. So uh, that must have been pretty fun for you to have a front row seat to that whole group of guys as well.
3: Well, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but back when I was growing up in Yakima, my Sunday school teacher, uh, when I was in kind of middle schoolish type thing, was Jake. <laughs> and Jake had just retired from the NFL and came back and settled back in Yakima. He was from. Sunnyside originally uh and his actually his brother played at Eastern as an offensive lineman and so so I've known uh, Jake at least for years and years and years uh and his wife uh, Carla so um then all of a sudden you know I hear we're recruiting Cooper Cup out of Davis High School and so then I took notice a little more and uh man he was a fantastic player in high school great basketball player they, they had a great basketball team with him kind of leading the way and and so you know he ends up here and we could tell right from his first uh you know his first fall, you know, as a redshirt, and then that following spring, how great he was going to be, and and then the you know the, the next year, his first year playing, um, was was phenomenal enough for a senior, let alone a freshman. <laughs> so yeah, they they've provided a lot of memories. Uh, we've we've always had his brother Ketner. Come through here. His his uh, sister's now playing soccer in Eastern, and so we get to see uh, his parents a lot. His parents are I I, I kid I kid with them um, whenever I see him. I says you guys are the ones that need to be retired, not me, because you guys are the ones that're following around kids. And Ketner's now coaching over in the Tacoma area. Of course, Coopers and L A. You know they've got grandkids now. Uh, Ketner just had twins, so he's got two, and then Cooper's got two. And so no, I'm I'm the one that that shouldn't be retired. You guys should be retired. I think uh, Craig Cup, uh, Cooper and Kettner's dad, said, says, uh, Yeah, I think my boss thinks I'm retired, too. So, <laughs> so, yeah, great memories with the Cup family, though, for sure.
0: It's always funny, too, because as a sports information director, you try to get as much stuff out there as you possibly can. And your, your notes were so thorough and so awesome. But by the time Cooper Cup was a senior, it was like you'd get the Dave Cook release, and it would be all about all the things going on at Eastern Washington, and then like two pages <laughs> about Cooper
3: Cup. I know, I know. It it, it is just phenomenal. And and it still is. I mean, gosh, all the things Eric Berrier is doing, I I try to keep up with a lot of that for Monica. And... uh... And then obviously Vernon Adams, you know what he accomplished in his time at Eastern. Yeah, it is hard to keep up with all those numbers and 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 keep them accurate too. I mean, there's there's actually kind of a couple of glitches with the NCA going to the new stat system that has uh, so we have some differences uh, with Eric's stats. And so, uh, but I just keep telling Monica, I says the uh, the ones that we have in our computer in our office are correct. Just go with those, and I guess at the end of the year we can sort it out with the NCA. But um, but it is just some you know some, some uh, phenomenal numbers that you just don't hey, it's funny when when they're first broken like eric meyer back in the mid-2000s breaks all these records for us um, and gets on some NCA lists uh, you don't think anybody will ever come along again that that comes close and then matt nichols a couple years later you know kind of sets the standard and uh and then and then um you know, then obviously, you know Vernon was kind of the next one in line, and and now Eric. So it is it, pretty amazing, but to have a receiver then do what he did and put up the numbers he did was was just another another batch of uh, another batch of numbers to kind of. Sort out. And I remember even just when he was done, just putting all his uh, updates in his bio, you know, online. I think he'd still get there and go Eags because we've kept it on there for all these years. But um, it was amazing. Yeah, it was just absolutely amazing what uh, what he accomplished.
0: Is there anything you can point to as to why? I mean, it really is. When you actually look at college football, I would actually argue that it's unprecedented what Eastern Washington's done. I mean, I think they've had seven quarterbacks that have been Big Sky Conference Player of the Year in the Big Sky within the league uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, I think five of those guys were Walter Payton Award finalists. A couple guys won the Payton Award. Uh, Oh, by the way, Cooper Cup is the all-time greatest receiver in college football history when it comes to the numbers, and he doesn't even hold Eastern Washington's single-season record for receiving yards. Brandon Kaufman does. How? How has Eastern been able to do this? I mean, it really is an unprecedented run of success particularly when it comes to the offensive skill players
3: well i i'm true i'm a true believer that there's uh genie's Genie's a very um special town because there's not a whole lot else to do here so you really have a chance to develop players and if you do go into the big town of spokane it's 20 minutes away and you're not going to sit in traffic like people do over in puget sound area there's just not a lot of distractions, and so these guys really work together a lot on their own. They spend a lot of time together, that camaraderie, and then just the amount of time they go down and, and practice um, together is, is pretty crazy. I remember just even during the COVID when they, you know, get shut, which is just an amazing thing for all these teams to to overcome. I mean, not being able to use locker rooms, not being able to have practices, and, you know, just all the things that COVID created in terms of problems for, for schools Yet all these teams have stayed together and, and put together the seasons they have this year. In the Big Sky, particularly, uh, is just a, you know is just an amazing achievement. But I remember going on uh, runs around town. And seeing guys out um, just playing on the middle school field together, they they would just pick up a football and go wherever they could just to be able to to play catch with each other and do those things. So I think it just just paid off over the years. Just the amount of time that they can spend developing their games, and and I know Cooper worked harder than anybody, uh, both from a from a technical standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint. Um, and Bo Baldwin, you know, mentioned and preparing for games standpoint. Point two. I mean, he he watched as much film as he could. I'm sure he was in violation of the NCA uh, twenty hour rule many times. Probably, <laughs> but uh, but the guy who. Um You know, really, you know, hit it on the head was uh, Bo Baldwin when he said he's more mature. Cooper's more mature than any of our coaches and our coaching staff. I mean, he just he just approaches the game so professionally. So he's got a great I mean, when he's his career is done, he's got a great future ahead of him as a coach. If he wants to be a coach or um, whatever he wants to do, he's just he's just a natural born leader and people um, respond to that. And, uh, you know, Vernon was kind of the same way in a little different sense. He just had that charisma and confidence um, and, you know, borderline cockiness that that um, you really want in a quarterback. And um, and so, you know, between the two of them, that was a special combo for sure.
0: Well, last couple things for you, Dave. It was uh, interesting being over there uh, for the Montana game. Uh, I can't remember who the reporter was because I think it was a new guy, a new TV guy in town, but uh said something to Aaron Best about, Coach, what was it like sort of uh, navigating the emotional roller coaster that this game was it, when uh, Eastern Washington rallied from down 21-10 to beat Montana 34-28? And Coach Best just kind of chuckled because he said, hey, you must not have been coming here for a little while because this is kind of how it always goes on the red. And I think that's one of the most fun parts about covering Eastern is this seems like the identity of the program. is all about making plays and just being resilient. Bouncing back and just finding a way to win the game. And even though they've scored so many points over the last 10 or 15 years, it seems like it is always a back and forth. But, I mean, man, if you were to ask me my top 10 games that I've covered uh, in the last 15 years covering the league, I swear, man, I think seven or eight of them would include Eastern Washington. I'm just now putting the finishing touches on a story about uh, that mid-2010s era where we saw the 52-51 to 51 in Bozeman. We saw the 55-50 to 50 in uh, Cheney uh, between both the Cats and Eastern. So uh, for for you, though, you've seen so many of these games. What are the games that stick out for you? And why do you think it is that it's always such an exciting down-to-the-wire style with Eastern?
1: Yeah,
3: I I, I don't know. I mean, the the -the down-to-the-wire was kind of thrown out a little bit under Coach Best here because we've had so many blowouts lately. Um, And that that was kind of an amazing feat. Uh, in itself was just the number of games in that 20-game winning streak. I think only like four of them were decided by less than, you know, 10 points. And so they were just uh, blowing out everybody and, and were just really looked unbeatable at home until, you know, Weaver State came in here and really shut them down for three quarters. It was just the fourth quarter when Eastern kind of got alive. They went 22 minutes without scoring in the third and fourth quarters, and that, that was kind of the difference in the game. But, yeah, there's just been a a ton of amazing games over the years. I think the first game on the red will will always stand out to me because it was against the Grizz and uh, and Eastern – it had to kind of come from behind kick the field goal to take the lead and had to survive a couple little uh, things at the end uh, got ended up getting a kind of a fumble recovery for a touchdown for renard williams to to wrap it up but um, but yeah there's just been there's just been a ton of them and and there's so many that it just kind of blends in together i know somewhere on my computer i've got a listing of kind of my all-time favorites i know uh paul delaney uh, Newspaper writer here in town for years and years and years, uh, did a book and he just came out with it this fall. And, uh, and so he listed some of those games that I had kind of selected over the years. Um, but, um, but yeah, just, as uh, like you said, those two fifty, you know, hundred point games combined, uh, really come to mind. But boy, I remember the two, um, in bozeman or or, you know i think there was there's one where vernon had to have a two-point conversion at the end you know it was a late drive and eastern pulled it out at the end in bozeman and um and then the one where eastern was kind of way behind it was a it was a denarius mcgee game and eastern was behind and then at the end ended up somehow getting a blocked punt i believe it was and scored and then an interception which was crazy um, right at the end, too, and ended up surviving for a win. So there's been great memories uh, through the years for sure. And and like I say, I can go back to 1985 (laughs) with with some of the great wins uh, Eastern's had here.
0: Well, Dave. Last thing for you. I, one thing I always find so interesting when I talk to players and former players specifically is it's not the the games or the results or the awards or anything like that that they remember and 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 that resonates with them and they miss the most. It's the times with their teammates and all that. And I think that that's one thing that a lot of us that have worked around this league really appreciate and and really cherish is the fact that we get to know uh, each other and you know working in these tight media circles. There's some guys that have been around this league just as long as you have, and I know that you become very good friends with. Them them as well so just tell us about that element because it seems like that's a very enriching part uh to working in sports information especially when you do get i mean you mentioned bill Amberty of course he's one of my favorite guys but i know mike lund has been around at portland state for a long time eric burdick down at cal poly as well and you know paul grua as an extension of brad larson there at, at weaver state and i mean i'm sure i'm missing some guys as well but uh, it seems like that maybe is actually the the best part about all of this
3: uh, no, not at all. I, I was, tr- I was glad to get rid of all the, F- <laughs> when I retired, what are you talking no, <laughs> Nope. Nope. nope, nope. I, as, as you and I talked about, I mean, there's some things that I really, really miss and that's probably the number one, um, thing that, that I miss the most. Um, uh, you know I, I don't miss a lot of the social media responsibilities and things like that um, I, I like the slower pace of life now from that standpoint <laughs> I go on Facebook maybe an hour in the morning and that's about it you know and uh, everything else I, I still look at newspapers you know and, uh, and stories and um, big sky things and all that but but I just don't do it you know on social media so uh, but yeah so those relationships uh, it with so many people um, and through the years the players and the coaches which is other administrators. It's just amazing. I was really when I when I did announce the, the fact that I was retiring. I was, I was amazed by the overwhelming response. and. Gosh! In fact, one of the first texts I got was from Cooper Cup, and that this was really, uh, you know, really a neat deal uh, for me because I, I try to stay humble and, and try to stay in the background, and you know, it's not about me; it's about those players and those coaches and those teams, and and I just I'm just there to kind of facilitate information and interviews, and but yes, a great, great relationships over the years, and uh, you know, I, I miss that, and that's why I still want to hang around, still want to hang around the press box. Uh, I was I was really. Fortunate to be able to to kind of be the the media coordinator, of the post game press conference stuff. So so Montana game, I got to see yourself and others, and um, and even during the game. But but I actually kind of you know the first game was weird, but now I kind of enjoy being in the stands as a fan. Um, it, it is different um, after you know 40 years of being in a press box. It's it's definitely different. Get to see a lot of people that I've I've worked with a little bit. You know in terms of you know fans and and people there. Um, we get to see them a little more than than I used to, uh, and so that's a real benefit. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're really looking forward to to many more years in this town and with uh, the, the Big Sky Conference and helping Eastern and um, and seeing a lot a lot of people come through here. It's it's a thrill just to to be able to be involved still.
0: Dave Cook, one of the best in the business. Last thing for you, Dave, do you have any thoughts on this weekend's game? It would be good to see you again. A second trip to Cheney for us at Skyline, but uh, what do you think of the, uh, the matchup between two top five teams as Montana State comes to Eastern this weekend?
3: Well, you know, the one thing this week that it really stood out to me was, uh, you know, just Troy Anderson and, and what he's done and what that defense is like. And, you know, going back a couple of years, I mean, he was quarterbacking against us. It's just the craziest thing. And, and then hearing Coach Best uh, um, just talk about what a great football player he is, no matter where he plays, no matter what he does, uh, is really um, you know, really, you know, and, you know, really in awe of him, and and really have a lot of respect for him, and as well as the whole team. But yeah, it it could be a barn burner. Who who knows what it's going to be like? Um, I I just the thing that scares me is knowing that that Eastern gave up thirty four points or thirty five against Weaver State, and uh, and ended up losing that game. And Montana State only gave up seven against them. So uh, it, it's going to be a real, uh, real, real challenge to. To you know, keep Montana State down, and then you know score against Montana State as well. So it, it's it's a good one. It, you know, and the other thing about Tranders, uh, I think I think I read that he was a National Football Foundation finalist. He is, yeah, uh, for the Walter uh, for the well. Campbell
0: Trophy. Yeah,
3: and, and I would say the highlights for me were always like a Cooper Cup and. Um, some of the other players we've had come through the, the years uh, earning those academic all America type of honors uh, and Spencer Blackburn uh, just a couple of years ago was, was that ended up being a finalist for the national football foundation award. And, and he went back to New York for the dinner. This was pre COVID obviously went back for the dinner and, and to see the pictures of him in a tuxedo were pretty, <laughs> pretty funny. Um, just because you're so used to this uh, center who's, you know, always gruff and tough and you know see him in a tuxedo was pretty impressive so all my best to him too on that honor because um you know you had mentioned it i mean the the honors and things that the athletes get um are, are great um it's just our way of helping, you know, nominate and, and do uh, the, the leg work to, to get them honored for all their hard work. And, and so that's really gratifying. I'm sure Bill is uh, in the same boat uh, is feeling pretty gratif- gratification from Troy's uh, accomplishments in that end as well.
0: Well, Dave, this was awesome, man. Love hearing all the memories. We really appreciate you taking so much time and uh, you're welcome back anytime here on the Big Sky Breakdown, but to look forward to seeing you on Saturday. In the meantime, have yourself a good week.
3: All right, yeah, I'll get back to my day job now.